The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2022 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycindy.com. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens of Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works everything out in agreement with the purpose of his will so that he who had already put out our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him also you were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to praise of his glory. I ain't even really going to greet y'all at first until I uh, make sure that y'all are going to greet me back. So I got two more times. All right, so let's all do it together. Let's not make me do it a second time. What's up, y'all? Okay, that's great. All right, we're going to have a pop quiz tonight when I come back up here. Um, Yo, it was uh, fantastic being with y'all last night, and uh, I'm excited to uh, be back this morning. I shared with a group of uh, guys that I met with today that we... uh, I made a little tweak in even what we were going to talk about last night after hearing some of the feedback from y'all and wanting to dive deep. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time, not in the whole passage, but just in Ephesians verses one, uh, or chapter one, verses one through six. The reason why I wanted to, you to read that whole thing is that as it talks about the salvation and all of what God has done, one of the things that you'll notice in that passage is there are zero imperatives, or what that means is that there are no commands there. There's nothing for you to do. It's news. It's good news. That right there, what we read, is a 200-word run-on sentence from somebody that is so excited about the salvation that he's found uh, in God. And I hope that that'll be the case today. So let's pray um, and uh, we will start for our time for the day. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you today and uh, we ask once again for your help, Lord. Um, Yeah, we're in a space right now and, uh, you know, we know it's a hotel. We know that uh, there's lots of fun and things that we've done here, but uh, what we're getting ready to do right now is something sacred, Father. We are here as a people gathering to hear from you, God. 
with our spiritual centers scattered all across the room. You know the wide spectrum uh, of people that are here today. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak and that your word would do what it always does, and that is create and bring order. We ask that you would create and bring order for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, you are a product of your past. You're not just a product of your past, but I'm convinced um, that your past presently has you in a chokehold. Charles Dickens wrote this book, Great Expectations, and in the book there's this one character, Miss Havisham. And the thing about her that we find is that she's a product of her past. On her wedding day, she gets a um, letter at 8.40 in the morning that her fiancé wasn't going to go through with it. So she stopped her life at that moment. She wore the same dress for 20 years to the point where it yellowed and molded. She stopped the clock. She only had one shoe on at the time, so she kept one shoe on. She had a beautiful daughter that she kept from getting married because of the pain that was caused to her. Now, it seems silly, it seems extreme, but what authors and comedians do is they paint pictures in such extremes to get you and I to notice the point that they're trying to make and the point that he's trying to make is the same one that I'm trying to make. You're a product of your past, and I think that our past presently have us in a chokehold. Concerning our past, here's one thing that I know. I don't know much about everybody in the room, but I do know this. You have a past. We live in the shadow of our past. Our past are full of a bunch of ordinary times, but they're also full of a bunch of uh, highlights and hardships wins and losses. And although the wins and losses, the highlights and the hard times don't define you on your most insecure days, you live as if they do. Here's what else I know of, about our past. It's not just that you have a past, but in your past you have secrets. Things that were done by you or to you that cause you a great deal of shame, and you're convinced that you'll take those things to the grave. Your parents don't know about those things. Your boyfriend or girlfriend don't know about those things. Your best friends doesn't know about those things. For the staff in here, there's things that your spouses don't know about. Why do we keep those things? Because I think you and I live in a world and we know that the acceptance that we feel in this world is largely based on how well you can hide your secrets and your flaws. You'll find this out when you go on your job interviews. They'll ask you questions like, what's your greatest weakness? And nobody says what their greatest flaw is. Because you know my acceptance is contingent on how well I hide it. So you don't say, 
I've got a short temper. I don't do what I'm told. You don't say you procrastinate. You say, oh, um, I work well under pressure. That we've all learned ways to hide what's wrong with us because we know that acceptance is based on how well that I can hide it. And to the extent I can hide it, I'll be accepted. The problem is when you live like that, your past has you in a chokehold because you know what doesn't change? Your past. But do you know what you live with? A fear that one day your past is going to come up and you're going to be exposed. So that either leads you to do one of two things, to pretend or to perform. That you'll find yourself in a place like this and you'll raise your hands and you'll sing and you'll get up early where people can see you and you'll read your Bible and you'll pretend like you have all of your stuff together and do all that you can to hide the things that are wrong with you. But you know how exhausting it is to pretend. Or maybe you're not the type here to pretend. Maybe you're the type to perform. That you feel like what really makes you acceptable in God's sight is the good things that you do. So you try your best to do all your good things, to have your quiet times, to read and to pray. And when you mess up and you fail, you hide those losses. Or worse, you double down and you promise that you're never going to do it again and time goes on and you don't do it again and you start to feel good about yourself and then you fail again and you find that your past failures and those secrets have you in a chokehold. If you're here today and you're tired of pretending or performing, I want you to know that I've got nothing but good news here for you today. And the good news, again, it isn't something for you to do right now. The application of this time is going to come this evening, but the, the thing is, it's for you to sit and to reflect and to hear and to learn about the God that the Bible talks about that that is going to be the most practical thing that you can do right now. Now, for some of y'all that may already disappoint you because you may feel like, just tell me what I need to do to get past it. And it's our incessant drive to build up our spiritual condition by our effort that has a lot of us shipwrecked. That what we want to do right now is, is to be reminded there is no pressure right now. As you hear things that may rub up against you, you don't have to intellectually try to volley what I'm saying back across the aisle. There's no need for us to be defensive. This is a time for us to just sit and enjoy what it is that God has done. The reason why I chose Ephesians is Ephesians is a general letter written to a group of churches that have their heads hung in shame and Paul's trying to be like, yo, lift up your heads. Live in the victory and the joy that God has provided. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's why that's important. Paul is somebody with a checkered past. 
when it comes to secrets or things that he's done or things done to him in the past, it should have him in the chokehold. He's somebody that persecuted God's church. He's somebody that did all of the wrong things. And yet he starts this off and he says, yo, I'm an apostle called by God. That word means somebody sent out. So Paul is not wearing this title as a badge of honor. He hasn't put it on his his LinkedIn so that he could get good uh, looks for a job as he gets ready to go into this next season of his life. When he says that I've been called by the will of God, what Paul is saying is this, and it's something that I desperately want you to know. That if you put God into a boxing match with your past, he's going to lay your past flat on its back. Your past, when face-to-face with God, is inconsequential when it comes to what God would have for you to do in the future. It doesn't weigh as much as you think that it does. And so Paul's going to say this, yo, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word grace is undeserved favor. That word peace is this unhindered relationship. Peace is something more than functionality in a relationship. It's a wholeness. And the best news about all this is Paul's going to say, no, 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 all of this comes from God. When we were young, one of the things that we used to say where I grew up is when we had this like unbelievable promise that we wanted somebody to really believe, we had to attach a phrase on the end so that they would know that we really meant it. So it was like, no, 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 listen, on my mama, I promise X, Y, and Z. Or we would say, no, no, listen, on God, I promise X, X, Y, and Z. This is what Paul says. Paul's like, yo, grace and peace to y'all. No, no, on God. God's going to be the one that brings it out. And what I love is that he starts off and he lists God as a father. Not fundamentally as a creator. Not fundamentally as somebody that has power, but as a father. And then he's going to use this word in verse 3 over and over and over. And it is this word blessed. Verse 3 says this, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Whenever you read your Bible and you see a word repeated, know that that word is important. It's emphasized. This is what it means. This word blessing is something that is used of God and what God does, it's reserved for this divine intervention of God on behalf of people. And so as Paul starts this, Paul's going to get into this text and Paul's going to try to set the scene. That if Paul was an interior decorator, you wouldn't just read Ephesians 1 through 6 in a room like this. You would read it in a room like a New Year's Eve party, right? So on New Year's Eve, cats don't just say, Happy New Year. Streamers and confetti fall down, fireworks, Happy New Year, because they want that announcement to be met or matched with a matching emotion. So if Paul was the interior designer for this session, 
Paul would say, yo, John, don't read it unless there's streamers and confettis falling from the rooftop because I want people to know what they really have. Every spiritual blessing, God hasn't left off one. Spiritual, hear this, something that transcends earthly realities and blessing. That may not resonate with y'all because you may be like, yo, John, Yo, spiritual blessings are great, but I'd rather have some of the earthly blessings, right? One of the things that you're going to find out is when you start to pay student loans back, um, Sally Mae will take back, uh, they'll, they'll take Visa, MasterCard, but I've checked, they don't take American Express or spiritual blessings. When it comes to spiritual blessings, we're like, ah, I'd really want that stuff. What's so special? And I will tell you this. No, no, no. Spiritual blessings are the thing that when you go to a funeral or you see a relationship or a marriage dissolve, those are the things that people say, yo, I would trade everything that I had if I could just have the peace that comes with wholeness. And this starts out with God saying, yo, you've got all of that. So just like we said last night, I want y'all to know as we come to the Bible, if you treat this book primarily as an instruction manual for how you are to behave, you're missing it and you'll miss so much. This is a book for you, not about you. It is a book that has some of the best news in the world that if you take that news and make it personal, you'll find that everything changes. It, it would be like living in a war zone in World War II, scared to go out of your house every day because you had to duck and dive bombs. And one day, you pick up a newspaper and the front page says the war is over. And you flip through the newspaper looking for personal instructions with your name on it in terms of what you're supposed to do. No, no. That, that's not what this is for. This is meant to tell you that the war is over. That there's a way that you can go and walk and live out in the world without constant anxiety and fear and shame. This is what Paul is saying that you and I have right here. The reason why I bring that up before we go into the rest of it is sometimes our failure to worship God or to have our hearts uplifted in praise is not that God has failed to be good to us. It's just we failed to recognize just how good he's actually been. So what I want to do in the rest of the time that I have left is I just want to show you this one truth. Do you want to know how you can be freed of the chokehold of the past? It's by remembering. the circumstances surrounding God's choice of you. God's gracious choice of you in Christ frees you and I from the chokehold of the past. Here's what I mean. As you look to the past 
and you find reasons for despair, the problem is not that you're looking to the past. The problem is that you're not looking far enough into the past. Praise of God begins with this humility. One of the problems that you and I face is we tend to live as if our birthdays are the center of our stories. And they're not. Look at what takes place here in verse 4. It says this, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. This is what I mean. Look, the past tends to have this chokehold on us because we view ourselves as the main characters of our story and we view God as a supporting character. So we think that our story starts with our birth date and it ends with our death date. The problem is, it's not that we have looked to the past, it's that we haven't looked far enough. What Paul says here is it's not just that God chose us in him, it's not even why, right? He chose us in him to be holy and blameless, but the most important thing here is when. When did God choose us to be his children? It says here, no, 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 not on your birthday. Not on whatever day it is that you wrote in the back of your Bibles as the day that you trusted in him. But it says this, look, before the foundations of the earth. Which means this, before you even had the ability to perform. For those of us that have put our faith in Christ, God had made this choice of you. Do you know what that does? It takes a little bit of the pressure off of your actions. Your bad ones haven't disqualified you. And your good ones haven't been the help that you thought that they are. There's something more consequential at work. The blessings of God are not a reward for your obedience. They were determined to be distributed before your actions were a factor. And I bring that up because there is tremendous safety in knowing that I'm already exposed and God still made that choice. Let me see if I can make it plain. All right, 20 years ago, I started college at Baylor University. Um, I'm the third of five kids. I shared with a group of folks this morning. My parents uh, came over from Nigeria about 50 years ago. So we grew up middle class and fine. But what that means is that the car that I drove off to school uh, was a 1993 Ford Escort, right? Google it, right? It's this little like hatchback mini station wagon. The back windshield never turned off. So rain or shine, it just went. So after getting roasted my first semester of school, I said, I, yo, I've got to get another car, right? 20 years ago. So I go back and 20 years ago, um, we had these things called newspapers. And that was where we found uh, our car. So I went into the newspaper. I found this car, this Mazda 626. Um, and so I go $2,500, I saved up all my little coins, I go and I buy the car, and it's great, it works fine. But then I go home for Christmas break, and it gets really cold in Texas this one 
winter. And so I'm driving back and I turn the heat on. You know, it's a three-hour drive to, to my crib from Baylor. I take some time for the heat to come on. I keep driving. And I'm like, oh, maybe I just have to turn it up more. And it takes some time. Three hours later, I've got icicles coming right from my eyes because my tears are frozen. And I'm like, yo, something's wrong with my heat. So I take it to a mechanic. He pops the hood. He looks. And he's like, yo, you got got. There's no heating core in this car. Whoever sold you this car knew that they hustled you. And I stepped back and I said, man, if I knew what was under the hood, I never would have bought this car. Some of us live like God is saying the same thing with you. That as God has lifted up your hood, you feel like God's learning something new about you that you've got to hide from him. And God is not saying, ah, if I only knew what was under the hood of them, I, I, I never would have bought them. God can't get hustled. He knows all. He's got x-ray vision. He sees it all. He knew what was under the hood before he made the choice. But the reason that he makes the choice is in order to fix what is under the hood. J.I. Packer is going to say it like this. Look, this is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes, be it said, not enervates, the sort of comfort that fills you up, that doesn't drain you in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. What he's saying is that you and I discover things about us that we're like, dang, I didn't know that my breath smelled that bad. Dad, I didn't know that I could really go this far. Dad, I didn't know that I was this depressed. And what he's saying is, no, no, God never has that. God knows the depths of your sin in ways that you never will. And all of that knowledge he had when he said, but I still want you to be mine. And if you believe that, do you know what it does? It gives you a security. Hear this. To be honest with God, because he already knows. And to be heard. To share that with others. Because what you realize is that, no. Everybody else is just as messed up as you are. God chooses us. Hear this. Not because we're holy and blameless, but in order to make us that. And all we got to say is, yo, God, I got some stuff missing under the hood, and I know that you know. Help me out. But how does God do this? How does God give us this kind of security? 
And the way that God does it is he chooses us to be his children. It's this thing called predetermined permanence. Um, I hate going into the store to shop for clothes or shoes or anything else. Everything that I buy, I buy online and it comes to my house. When it comes to clothes, I go online and I don't just look for what I want, but I also look for the return policy. Because I want to make sure that if it don't fit quite like, like I want it to fit, that I could return it. And so what I do is I buy it on my credit card so that I'm not actually spending any money. And if I have to return it, then I don't lose anything, right? Nike's not just going to hold on to my money for seven to ten business days. But, and then when I find out that I really want it, then I'll pay for it. Some of us live as if God treats us like that. He's kind of bought us on credit and he's trying to see if he really wants us before he starts to cash in. But that is not what Jesus is saying right here is that when God brings us into his family, look here at verse 5, he predestined us right here to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory that he lavished on us in the beloved one. When it's saying that God brought us in, it's saying God didn't bring us in and just hold on to us waiting to see if we panned out. He didn't bring us in as employees waiting for our 90-day probationary period to see if he's going to keep us on full time. He brought us in as sons and daughters. This concept of adoption as family is to bring in somebody that you don't have any obligation to and to treat them with the closest relationship that we have. So even as God establishes that he has a son and God is perfect in his love towards one son, that as God is inviting other sons and daughters, God's saying, I want you to know that I treat all of my kids the same, that I love my sons and daughters in the same way. Why? For his good pleasure. Nobody coerced him. This is what God wants to do. When you realize that God is most fundamentally a father, it changes the way that you look at him. You're reminded that he's not just a judge. He's not a referee waiting for you to mess up. He's, he's a father. And if you have a good father, there's a type of access. Tim Keller is going to say it like this. The only person who has the audacity to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access to God. The reason why I bring that up is because one of the major objections that people have against the Christian God, and this may be uh, some of y'all in here, by the way that you've seen Christians act being very judgmental and condemning, um, they tend to think of God as this hard and harsh judge. And to some extent, that is true. The Bible does talk about that God is a judge and he's going to judge 
the wickedness of the world. And one day he's going to make things right. And that is a good thing. In a world that craves justice, we want a just judge. The problem is that's not the only type of judge that there is, and that's not the only type of courtroom that there is. I've had two pivotal experiences when it comes to courtrooms. The very first one, I was um, a college pastor 16 years ago sitting with a friend of mine uh, as her dad was on trial for fraud. The lawyer came in, the lawyer was badly prepared. The judge rendered her father guilty and I saw a family torn apart as the judge did the best that he could and justly condemned a criminal. When judges do that, families are torn apart and the good news is, all right, I guess people know that crime doesn't pay. But that's not the ultimate courtroom that the Bible talks about. There's a different kind of courtroom where a judge doesn't just rain down a verdict that tears apart families but creates one. There's another type of courtroom where there are tears and puffy eyes and luggage underneath the eyes, but it's a different kind of tear. They're tears of joy. There's this courtroom, a picture that's on the screen. Um, five and a half years ago, my wife and I um, got a phone call about a baby girl that had been born premature. Uh, we meet her when she's four days old. Her name is Ava Leia. We adopt her. After about a year, uh, we find ourselves in a courtroom. My, not second time in the courtroom, I've done defensive driving more times than I can count, right? So I've been in lots of courtrooms. This was one of the first ones I went and cried these tears of joy. That what you have here is, look, you got me, my wife, my daughter. And do you know who that white man is with glasses? He's a judge. And do you know the verdict that he rained down in that judge? That courtroom? He said, John and Chandra, do you pledge to love this girl like she was your own? Do you pledge to do all that you can to take care of her? To raise her up, to make her your responsibility, to treat her as if she was your own flesh and blood? And we said yes. And his judgment didn't tear apart a family that day. It created one. When the Bible says that God is a judge, and I want you to hear this. When it talks about we were predestined, that word predestination is something that people go back and forth on, and it has a lot of theological ink spilled on it. But for this passage in particular, that predestination is linked to adoption. It's saying, no, before time, before you did anything right or wrong, God determined that he wanted you in this courtroom. That's the good news of the gospel, this predetermined permanence. 
And in this next picture, what you have is this. We welcomed her into a family. There's a group of people that love her and care for her. Keith's not in the picture right now. Me and Keith are not brothers, but my daughter only knows him as Uncle Keith. This sense of family, this is what God does. This is what God is after, creating this sense of family. But I want you to know this. It is simple, but it is not easy. It doesn't come cheap. Although the goal is to get us to this adoptive courtroom, there is a criminal court case that has to take place. But this is where the Lord Jesus comes in. So throughout this text, Paul's going to say, we've been blessed in Christ, in Christ, in him. Do you know why that phrase, in Christ, is so important? That phrase, in Christ, is this spiritual but geographic term that it's meant to relocate where it is that we stand. It's kind of like this. Uh, you can take that off of the screen. People will get to, to distracted by the cuteness of my daughter. This geographic term that in Christ is spiritual just as much as it is geographic. Here's what that means. Um, I'm a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas time because I hate the snow. I hate the cold, right? I am grateful for all of you all. I will never live in Indiana or Minnesota or Minneapolis or any place like that. It's uncomfortable. It's cold. You have to put on so many clothes. It is just the most frustrating thing in the world to be in the, the cold. So when it comes to winter, you're not going to find me in Minneapolis. I grew up in Texas. And let me tell you something about that place. In Texas, on Christmas Eve, sometimes it's 84 degrees. In Texas, people don't have to wear these big coats to guard them from the chill of the wind. In Texas, there's freedom. People are wearing flip-flops. People are going to the beach. People are enjoying their lives. <laughs> what Paul's trying to say here is, oh, no, no, listen. In the world in which you live, when it comes to dealing with your past, you've got to put on a big coat of works to guard yourself from the chill of the insecurity of being found out one day. It's a hard and exhausting and a miserable place to live. But he says, but let me tell you about this new place. In Christ. In Christ, it's warm. In Christ, you don't have to fear being exposed because he already knows it all. It's not hard work. There's freedom. There's joy. There's an ease of living. And all of that comes to you by God's grace. Our past mistakes are covered. That's what family does. I'll never forget learning about repentance 
by looking into the eyes of my daughter as a premature baby looking through the glass of an incubator, just telling her, and she didn't even understand, but telling her, oh, Ava, I never want you to fear making a mistake. I want you to know that I've loved you with this incredible love before you could do anything. And so the only thing that I want from you is to come back to me and to be honest when you mess up. This is what it means when we're able to view God as a father. We don't mess up and say, I don't want my father to find out. We find ourselves at the rock bottom and say, yo, I need to call my dad. It's not just our past mistakes, but we realize our past accomplishments don't mean as much as we thought that they did. That in family, what you learn is, you know, there's nothing that my daughter can do to make me love her any less. And there's actually nothing that my daughter can do to make me love her anymore. The love is constant, it's secure. So you don't have to pretend or perform. I want you to know this, y'all. When you're overcome by your past and it has you in the chokehold, remember, it's probably because you're not looking back far enough. What is more important than God's choice of you is when he chose you. It was before you did anything to disqualify or anything to qualify yourself. And the way that God treats us is meant to inform the way that you and I treat each other. You have this incredible gift from an incredible God that has nothing to do with how you initiate with him. But it has everything to do with how you respond. God wants more than something from you. God wants everything for you. The peace, the security, the freedom to be who you are without fear of what it means in terms of relationship with him. You have that. And this week you get a chance to respond to that. We serve a God who is a father that wants to give you the security that comes from family. I pray y'all wouldn't sleep on it. Let's pray. Um, Our father, there's so much more to walking with you uh, than merely believing certain mental truths. God, and although faith is so much more than a mental exercise, Lord, it's not less than that. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as they can only act on what it is they believe and they can only believe what they understand. I pray they would understand the right things about you, that you are most fundamentally a father that has gone to great lengths to provide us the security of family. 
I pray that that would free us, Lord, from the present chokehold our past has on us to perform or to pretend to be something that we're not. Give us the freedom, and as a result of that freedom, I pray that we would experience peace and joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conycnd.com.